Hey guys, welcome back to the Fort Podcast. My name is Chris Powers and I wanna thank you for joining me today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this show, I would be super grateful if you would follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to. And if on Apple, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating and review. Last but not least, you can find all these episodes on YouTube. Thank you so much again for joining me and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Fort Capital. Fort Capital is a privately owned real estate firm in the great state of Texas. We buy Class B industrial across all the major markets. We are committed to technology. We have a world-class culture. And more than anything, we are a forward-thinking company. If you want to stay in the know on all things going on at Fort Capital, visit us at fortcapitallp.com, follow us on LinkedIn, or subscribe to this podcast. Fort Capital's quarterly newsletter subscribers are the first to receive business and real estate insights, news, videos, podcasts, free resources, and more. Enjoy the show. I'm excited uh, to talk today. I'm going to go on a rant. And these episodes can sometimes be a little difficult to put together because there's a lot to talk about. And I've realized that I do best when I just kind of let it flow and don't make it so structured and uh, you know, just have all these notes. So I've got some notes, but I'm going to kind of l- wing it. I might, you know, say some stuff twice, but that's okay. Today's episode is on kind of incentives and, uh, really specifically, um, you know, company incentives. And I'll try and relate that as much as I can to our business real estate. But I just think there's some kind of fundamental truths that are good across all businesses. Um, we aren't perfect. We're still learning. Uh, made a ton of mistakes, and a lot of those have come around incentives. Uh, you know, I think I'll start it by saying, "Show me the incentives, and I'll show you the outcome." And really, you get what you incentivize. At the end of the day, um, you know, one other kind of one-liner is, "Every system is perfectly designed for the results that it's getting." And if you really stop and think about that for a second. Um, you know, it really kind of hit me stone cold when I heard it, but, you know, the results you're getting are ultimately about what you're incentivizing and what you're incentivizing is what brings the right people to the table. It's what helps you sell more product. It's what helps you, you know, do bigger deals. It's what helps people, uh, achieve better outcomes in their job. Uh, if there's one thing that's kind of universally true, it's that we all respond to incentives. And it's something that I um, think a lot about. And I think some of the best companies in the world think about. Uh, on the contrary, I think some of the worst businesses in the world don't think about them or businesses that don't end up making it, um, you know, often have kind of the wrong incentive structure in place. And so, you know, I'll start by saying I think, and I've been very vocal about this specifically in kind of the real estate private equity world, but every company should strive to be a very profitable company. Um, that is the the main root of all great businesses. And, you know, I think today in today's uh, media culture, profit, you know, can sometimes be, you know, said as something that um, it's almost like it's said that, that it's evil. 
But I'd flip that on its head and just say profitability is what allows you to invest in people, invest in technology, uh, improve products, uh, spend money on R&D to get better. It's a profitable company that can do the things and achieve the things that they want to achieve. Trying to achieve all those um, and not be profitable doesn't last forever. And so... You know, for the sake of today's conversation, I think it can be uh, for the sake of understanding how I look at things. I look at profit as one of the main drivers that allows companies really to flourish. Um, so I'll start at kind of the top because this can kind of answer a lot of questions. But everybody uh, and 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 I fall into this, you know, very often is when they think of incentives. Oftentimes, they think of individual incentives. But I think before we get into individual incentives, what I think really matters is a company's culture and the incentives that they put in place for that culture. And ultimately, what I have found to be the the best um, for Fort, but really, if you look ar- across the board and look at a lot of these companies, uh, the best cultures incentivize a team to do well over any one individual doing well. And before I go, you know, deep into this episode, if nobody here has listened to the great TED Talk uh, about super chickens, I would, I would, I'd go watch it. I'm going to give a highlighted summary of it here, but this was a TED Talk, and, and I've listened to a few. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I listened to all of them and that they've all, you know, had a dramatic impact, but this one really did. And it's a TED Talk, and I think if you YouTube TED Talk Super Chickens, and I believe uh, I believe it's by Margaret Heffernan, YouTube, Margaret Hefferman, TED Talks, Super Chickens, it's a really great episode on incentives. And you might be thinking, okay, what does Super Chickens have to do with incentives? And I'll just kind of give you the highlighted version, and, and Johnny will put this in our notes if you want to link it there. But they basically said um, they wanted to do an experiment, and I'm going to read you some things, and then and then we'll see, you know, kind of how this leads into the rest of the episode. But it it all started with the eggs. Uh, there was a scientist that originally sought to improve egg laying productivity by breeding the best producers, the most eggs laid won. His simple hypothesis was that by continually breeding the super chickens of the flock generation after generation, one would progressively develop a better egg-laying hen population. And I think what he meant by super chickens are, you know, there's some chickens that are, you know, just um, more of your team players. And then there's those chickens that are kind of the individual hard-charging people. And this kind of thesis was that the more of those that you collected, the individuals, the better outcomes you would have. In his competition-focused experiment, He segregated two groups of hens, one control group of nine average producing hens, which was left to reproduce for six generations. And the second was a test group of super chickens, the highest quantity egg producers from each successive generation. The groups shared pens as they went about their lives besides producing eggs. They then noted that productivity was easy to measure in such an experiment because it was so quantitative. All you had to do was count the amount of eggs laid. So here are the results. At the end of the experiment, the results were alarming. The control group chickens were plump, well-feathered, healthy, and actually producing more eggs than they were at the start of the experiment. However, the super chickens group was in disarray, 
or at least that was what that was what was left of them. Only three hens survived after many were aggressively attacked by the other hens and pecked to death. If the only way most productive, if the only way the most productive can be successful is by suppressing the productivity of the rest, then we badly need to find a better way to work and a richer way to live. That was a quote by Margaret Heffernan. So cooperation compounds success over time. So that's where social capital steps in. Social capital creates value for the individual and the individual's place within the group, i.e. how that individual is involved in the team working toward the common goals. Based in cooperation, social working environments grow and compound over time, leading to further productivity. Individuals from a higher degree of social sensitivity to other perspectives and share equally in their opinions and contributions. Then energy starts to become applied to progressing with each other rather than just oneself. So Heffernan draws a connection between the failure of the super chickens, competitive structure, and the need for social capital to develop over time. For once, time is allowed to compound the joint working relationships. The super chickens of the past are not only gone, it becomes difficult to identify the standouts because everyone in the organization really matters. Okay, so I go through that TED talk to say, before you really think of incentives, you might ask yourself, are we incentivizing our company to work as a team and produce as a team? Or are we creating different incentive structures for each individual person and believing that hiring more of these quote unquote super chickens are going to be the key to success? I fell in that ladder camp originally. I thought we could hire our way out of any situation. I thought we always needed to go after what what appeared to be the best and greatest person. And what I realized is it doesn't work. And what I realized is actually the best people are the people that are willing to work with others and not building a company around any one individual will will yield far greater results than these companies that are stacked with a bunch of, you know, quote unquote, super chickens. So I'll start just by saying, I believe all great companies incentivize a team environment. Um, and that's certainly what we're going for at Fort. So as you're thinking of incentives, ask yourself, does our culture promote teamwork or does it not? And if it doesn't, I would really kind of look in the mirror and, and ask why. Um, you know, I've been vocal saying a culture of a company is what you're willing to accept. And if you're willing to accept a bunch of super chickens pecking at each other all day, those might just be the results that you get. Part of our culture, and I've talked about this, and we will link it also in an episode that I did on core, cost reduction, overhead management, revenue generation. So one way that we have baked this into the culture and we incentivize every team member to follow core, everybody in your company has a different view of the company. They see different things. They work with different people. They sign different vendor agreements. Um, they just have different ways that money flows through their team, uh, both on the revenue side and the expense side. So core cost reduction, overhead management, revenue generation is something that we have ingrained in our culture. And it's upon everybody in the company to help make core a success. Everybody in the company might find ways to reduce cost or manage overhead. A lot of people have great revenue ideas. You know, one of the biggest things when you incentivize a team-based culture is incentivizing 
everybody to look at their job through a core lens. What can you be doing to generate revenue, manage overhead, or reduce costs? Now, again, everybody's in a different spot, so it's not like everybody's going to have the same opportunities, and it's not like there's always an opportunity to do one of those. But if everybody on the team knows that part of how they are um, looked at as their job performance is how they've impacted core in one way or another, you have people that show up with an owner's hat every day on going, they're focused on the company. They're focused on helping the company reduce costs. They're focused on helping the company reduce revenue or uh, increase revenue. And that's as simple as every single time there's a one-on-one -on -one with an employee or a review of some sort, um, you know, you're asking them, what have you done for core? It's also highlighting individuals that have done something great for core. Again, whether that's create a new way to generate revenue or find a new cost-saving mechanism. You know, I'll give one example. Uh, it's a tiny example, but um, years ago before COVID, we used to provide lunch three days a week. And it was our office manager's job to get it done. And we were ordering lunch for 30 people. We were having it delivered by DoorDash. And, you know, when, when we were preaching core all the time, that gives the autonomy to the office manager to think of what are ways to reduce costs. Well, what we found out was, uh, you know, DoorDash was charging, you know, cost plus 10 or cost plus 20. Well, on a $400 order or $500 order every day, that's a hundred to $150 delivery fee. You stack that up across the year, that's 10 to $15,000 just in delivery fees. So what did she do? She came up with a system that when she went and checked the mail that day at the PO box, or when somebody was out and about, we went and picked up the lunch instead of having it delivered. Or we had an intern that we were paying, you know, much less ability to go do it. Again, one, she caught it. Two, we praise that and we let the company know that she caught it and it becomes baked into the culture. And so what I would tell you is if you're at a company where, you know, people aren't incentivized by some method of core, it, it, it's different within each company, that would be an easy one to implement. Now, it needs to be implemented at the top. It needs to be talked about often. It really needs to be baked into the culture. People's jobs and the success of their jobs need to be based on it. And, um, you know, it goes a long, long way. And what you create is a bunch of folks that think about the company as if it's their own. But before even that, I would say tr the, the company should have, everybody in the company should have an idea of how the business model works, how the company makes money and how the company loses money. Um, you know, where expenses are in the company, where revenue is in the company. And it's amazing that when everybody in the company understands generally how the company makes and loses money, it also inherently gives them an opportunity to think how their job might impact that. And which, again, you find is a lot of small businesses, most of the team has no idea how the company is making money anyway. So how could you expect somebody to... Um, you know, it, to be incentivized to make the company money or save the company money when they don't even know how it's made or lost to begin with. So one thing that we have really tried to do a great job of in the last few years is continuing to train our team members on how the company makes money, how each real estate project makes money. And what you find is everybody, no matter what team you're on, can identify with how some of the actions that they're taking on their team might impact that. The company making money, 
um, the assets making money. So again, this was kind of a little bit of a rant on the culture of your company in a lot of ways is going to set how incentives are set in the company. Now we can dive into a little bit more of how we incentivize um, certain things. Let's take a quick break to highlight this episode's sponsor, Juniper Square. If you aren't familiar with Juniper Square, it's an easy to use all-in-one investment management software designed specifically for real estate owners. We have been using it at Fort Capital for several years now, and it has completely revamped the experience we're able to provide our investors through reporting, management, and efficiency. Here's a bit more on how Fort Capital utilizes the platform. You know, your, your, your tenants are your customers, but your real customers are your investors. And the real estate business, the lifeblood is the ability to have capital. It's an expensive game and being able to treat them, um, you know, like royalty. And when you have a lack of resources or you're smaller, it's very tough to be able to report in a way that, again, those high net worth individuals are expect or used to seeing. And so for years, we had either tried building stuff from scratch. It never worked. We would try hiring these companies that, that wanted to charge us a quarter million dollars a year for investor reporting. And it just never worked. And when we found Juniper, um, it aligned with our mission to provide our investors not only great returns, but a great experience in achieving those returns, which goes back to transparency, communication, their ability to know where their money is. You can check out episode 37 to listen to my full conversation with Brandon or visit cjunipersquare.com for more information. That's S-E-E junipersquare.com. Are you interested in investing in commercial real estate but don't know where to start? Lex has created a new way for you to invest in real estate. Lex turns individual buildings into public stocks via IPO. Each building gets a ticker and trades like your other stocks. Now you can invest, trade, and manage your own portfolio of high-quality commercial real estate. Any U.S. investor can open a Lex account, browse opportunities in various asset classes such as multifamily and office buildings, and buy shares of those individual buildings. Lex opens up direct and tax-advantage ownership in an asset class that has been previously inaccessible to most investors. Start investing in commercial real estate today by exploring Lex's live assets in New York City and upcoming IPOs across the country. Sign up for free at lex-markets.com backslash fort and get up to $500 in deposit bonuses when you fund your account. Again, that's lex-markets.com backslash fort. Let's take a quick break to highlight this episode's sponsor, CREmodels.com. That is the letter C, the letter R, the letter E, models.com. If you aren't familiar with CRE Models, they are a real estate financial modeling and due diligence firm that specializes in bringing an institutional process to small and mid-sized firms who are raising capital. Because of their extensive experience with large clients, they really make it easy to look professional and polished when raising debt and equity capital. If you have a substantial deal pipeline, use CRE models for expert due diligence, lease abstracts, financial models, physical due diligence, books and records, and more. They can handle any property type from multifamily to commercial to self-storage or really anything. With CRE models, we send them all the financial info we have on a deal and they will review and tell us what is missing. 
This really allows us to focus on the deal structure and we can trust them to jump in as they're an extension of our own firm. You can get in touch with CRE Models at CREmodels.com or call them at 201-252-7487. When you talk to them, remember to ask about their 360-degree analysis team and the real estate technology integration services as well. And now back to the show. One, one thing that a lot of people do when they think about incentives is they want to incentivize the outcome. So if we make more profit, everybody does well, uh, you get this much. Or if we do this many deals, um, everybody you know, gets paid something. But one thing that's really thought-provoking, and again, there is no perfect incentives. There are incentives that work better than others, but I don't think there's a universal incentive that is said to be um, you know, the only way to incentivize. But when you are incentivizing based on just an outcome, what you can actually figure out is you can build a really bad business around great results. And what I mean by that is uh, you can build a really bad business by attempting to get great results. And here's what I mean by that. And this is a shout out to Andrew Siegel. We've done two episodes with him. I highly recommend listening to those. He is a a goat, a greatest of all time, in my opinion. I've learned so much from him. But I went to him like four or five years ago, and it was a, I think it was an asset management position at the time. And I said, how do we incentivize asset managers? And my and he goes, well, what do you think you should do? I go, well, the obvious is, you know, if the property, uh, you know, in, in our world, an asset manager is someone who is essentially in charge of executing a business plan. So however profitable the entity is or that property, you know, you can attribute a lot of that to the asset manager. So I said, you know, obviously, if they're hitting, uh, you know, our budget, and they're exceeding our budget and the property is more profitable, then we should bonus them. And he, and he stopped me for a second. And he goes, OK, understood. But what if one asset manager is working on a property that is just a total dog, just started at the company and has the hardest property in the company to work on, and another person's been there forever, they're actually not as talented as the other person, but they 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 just so happen to be on you know that property that's just gushing cash. And it and it isn't even necessarily just because we've done such a great job implementing a business plan, but it's just, you know, it's one of those properties that was in a great location is you've owned it forever and it just keeps getting better with time. Who should you pay more? The guy that is or girl that is turning around that property that's been in the dirt and in the dumps or the person that got the property that just kind of, uh, you know, outperforms without a lot of heavy lifting. And I remember I was just like, oh, man, that is such a good point. And so I said, OK, well, I don't I said I would actually think maybe you would hire the person working on the, the, the much tougher one, even if it isn't profitable yet. And so what he said to me next what really stuck to us and is something that we have kind of implemented across the team. But he said, you know, if you're just going to incentivize for like profitability or, you know, outsized returns, he goes, that works. But when you're left with a situation like I just described, it doesn't work. So what he said instead was, why don't you as a company understand what is the job to be done? What are all the things a great asset manager does? And you could do this for any position, but maybe they walk the building at least once a week. 
Uh, maybe they never have maintenance requests that are, you know, take longer than 30 days to be done. Maybe they have the roof checked once a year by a, a, a roofing company. Um, maybe they make sure they've talked to the property manager at least once a week and the leasing agent once a week and, and on and on. So it's these like specific things. And, and the idea was that if an asset manager were to do all of these things, then on the other side of that should be good results. You should have a profitable property. You should um, have a good outcome. The outcome is, again, is every system is perfectly designed for the results that it gets. So the, the, the thought was you should be incentivizing on the system, not necessarily the result. And so one way to incentivize people or bonus people was, are you doing your job? Are you doing the things that we have said make a asset manager successful? rather than just the outcome. And so I'm not going to sit here today and tell you uh, you know, what every job in the company should be doing. Every company does things their own way, but that's more of a way of saying, how can y'all think about incentivizing the process rather than just uh, incentivizing the results? And what you'll find amongst most great companies is they have found a way to incentivize the process rather than results. And what they actually end up getting are great results. So for a salesperson, you know, that could be, you know, you have to make a hundred calls a week or you have to set three lunches a week or whatever those may be. The things you have to have, um, you know, done research on three companies to call that week, whatever it might be, incentivize the actions that actually create outcomes, not just the outcomes. And I'll end that by saying, you know, if you were to tell 10 different companies, hey, the goal this year is to buy a million square feet or 10 million square feet, whatever you want to say. Chances are all 10 companies, there's a lot of things they would do the same, but there's probably a lot of things they would do differently. Some would actually achieve the goal. Some might blow past the goal. Some might not ever get there. Um, you know, some people might have better people on their team. Some people might not. Some people might be in a tough market. Some people might not. But what, what you get is if, if the only way that anybody was incentivized was if they got to a million square feet you would just have a lot of different incentives put in place because every company is unique. So what I would say is, um, while it's good to set big goals that if they're achieved, trigger some type of incentive, the way to actually achieve those goals and get to that incentive is by incentivizing the process along the way. And that's for you to determine. We have taken that approach going, what makes a amazing controller? What makes a great property manager? What makes a great director of leasing? What makes a great VP of finance? What makes a great uh, back office? All of these things. What makes great investor relations? And what makes them great is a series of jobs and tasks that they do on a regular basis. And if they're doing those tax things, get better. And what you find is by incentivizing the process, you're also incentivizing each of those team members to get better at the process and make it more efficient so that it creates more results with less effort. Okay, I'll go through a kind of a list of questions. So um, how do you incentivize at Fort Capital based on promote? I'll give a very high level um, answer here is depending on the position that you start with us, you might be able to have promote day one, but uh, in general, 
you are in the promote once you've been with us a certain amount of time. And that's capped at two years. So after two years with us, you are in the promote. And that promote uh, vests over five years. So somebody is given a percentage of, of the promote. And every year that they're with us, that vests. If we were to sell the property ahead of that five-year window and the, and the employee is still there, it fully vests. Um, if an employee leaves us, uh, based on how many years they vested, they get to leave and we will honor it. So usually uh, if they leave us, as long as they are leaving us on good standing and uh, they're not leaving for you know unethical reasons or uh, kind of left on a bad note, we honor those uh, promotes um, even if they're not with us. And we believe that's really important. We want people to feel like if they've come and they put in the work and for in circumstances change in life or they want to go to a different company. So as long as you're doing nothing on the way out that harms our business and going and, and working with a competitor is not harming our business, um, then we believe they should have it. And so folks are given a piece of the promote. That promote allocation is based on their overall comp. And that vests over five years. And again, by incentivizing with a piece of promote, each employee, if they understand how properties are made profitable, then their certain teams can impact the profitability of a property. And that in turn will increase the value of promote. So um, that is one way that we incentivize through promote. The second way is over time, we encourage our team to invest a portion um, as an LP, we don't, it's not mandatory. Nobody has to, but again, as the culture breeds itself into this group of owners that are understanding how the company makes money, they're seeing how the properties can function. Uh, we think there's an incentive for, to allow people the opportunity to invest their excess cash. You know, that's one of the great things about working in a, uh, in a deal business is especially for team members. Should they should they want? There's always a place to put some cash. You know, a lot of people that make a lot of money don't have anywhere to put it except for like a Morgan Stanley account. We, you know, one of the beautiful things about Ford is there's always a place to put money. We we don't encourage that anybody has to, but what you find over time when you create that culture that understands how the business is making money and is bought into it and is working as a team, people feel more comfortable investing in the project, which makes them, again, more incentivized to make it a success. You know, I won't go, go too far into it, but one of the best ideas we had this year was, was called what uh, is incentivized as, as a rolling bonus. What you find at a lot of companies is that bonuses are given once a year um, or for certain positions, they're given on these kind of one-time events, like an acquisition person might be given a bonus to close a deal. And what you end up finding is that people often leave companies uh, as soon as that big bonus has been paid. They get it, and then they turn in their two-week notice. Uh, what we said was, why don't we kind of level the playing field? We'll actually bonus more, but we're going to create what we call a rolling bonus. So if I give you $100 as a bonus, then you would get that bonus. At the, at the end of the quarter, you, it would go into your bonus pool and you can take out 50% of whatever in your bonus pool. Uh, 
And so there is always uh, an additional bonus coming at the end of each quarter, half of what's ever in there. And that pool is constantly being filled up by different things that are happening in the company. So you're not just getting this once a year bonus at the end of the year, you're actually getting bonused every quarter. And what we found was by doing that, it, we actually said, look, we will bonus our team more, but we want you invested in the long term. And we don't want this culture being bred where once a year, everybody's waiting to figure out what they're going to get. Sometimes it's subjective. And then, you you know, everybody has this, you know, holding their breath till the end of the year mentality. Again, I'll just take it a step back. Great cultures circumvent this quite a bit. What you find in the best companies is the end of the year means nothing. I mean, sure, they get paid and they get paid their bonus, but people are willing to stay. And we just said, look, Great people deserve to be bonus throughout the 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 uh, duration of the year. It's silly to us to wait for just this one moment to only provide one bonus. So we have a rolling bonus structure. When we close deals, everybody gets a bonus. That acquisition fee is not going to pay just one person. What we realize is that is a dumb way to run a business is for only one person to get a bonus when a deal closes, especially when the bonus hasn't had a, even been a, the deal hasn't been a success yet. So one example we took was, hey, while we charge an acquisition fee, we're paying our entire team out of that fee, not just one person. And what that does is everybody wins when we win. It creates everybody's excited when a deal closes. And there isn't these one or two super chickens in a company that are getting all the upside and all the bonuses when in reality, there's a huge team that did a lot of the work. And there's a huge team that's often doing work uh, once the property has been bought. You know, one of the things that never really made a lot of sense to us was why do it? acquisition people tend to make all the money for these one-time events when in reality there's an army of people that are actually there to make them successful. And so one of the things we decided to do on that one incentive in general was make it so that everybody benefited when we close the deal, not just one person getting the lion's share. And what you find by that is a team that works in harmony, a team that knows what to expect, and a team that's eager to not only get a deal done, because you never want to get deals done that shouldn't get done, but they want to get them done well when there's a deal to be done. And so everybody's going above and beyond. They're all working as a team so that at the end, they have earned that bonus for getting that deal across the goal line. I was asked quite a bit how we incentivize uh, brokers, and I don't want to leave you hanging here, but we are doing a full episode on this in a couple weeks. And so I'm just going to save the meat of how we incentivize brokers for that episode. But what I will tell you is we thought about it again like this. What are folks that are good at developing business, sales, generating business good at, and what are they not good at? They're really good at finding leads, talking to people, getting business in the door. They tend to also be the people that are not good at a lot of administrative work, a lot of process-oriented work, a lot of documentation work. And so we said, how do we create a position where they can do what they're best at and we'll create a team that is great at all the other stuff? And so we did that. And then we said, but because you know we don't want to incentivize one or two super chickens on the team, uh, you know, getting the lion's share, 
maybe we should put this uh, position outside of the company. And so we started working with what we call acquisition consultants, which are contracted people, boots on the ground, that are very incentivized to bring us deals. Again, I'm not gonna get into it here, and I don't mean to leave you hanging, but we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, and you will see an episode come out on how our deal incentive and acquisition pipeline structure works. Uh, one question came up, how do you incentivize the back office? I The way you incentivize the back office is one, everybody participates in the promote. It doesn't matter what part of the company you're on. You're going to get into the promote if you've stayed with the company long enough. So there's one way. Number two, again, if I just go back to that acquisition fee comment, everybody gets a reward when the deal is closed. Everybody. So there is not just one person getting an award. So that's number two. But this goes back really to, to core. You incentivize the team to find ways to cut costs. You incentivize the back office ways to uh, manage overhead. So maybe that's you know the HR benefits that you're getting. Who's incentivized to make sure that we're getting the best deal possible? You know, you're if you just take accountants for example, they're seeing lots of bills. Are you incentivizing them to make sure that we're paying the right bills and paying the right cost? Are we uh, negotiating the right deals with vendors? Um, you know, in in HR, are we? Um, you know, are the things that we're doing for employees, are we getting the best cup possible deals when we go out and have team events? Are we overspending or are we underspending? There's just every different thing in business has a maybe revenue item attached to it or a expense uh, item attached to it. And you want everybody in the company feeling like it's their job to watch it. And what I will tell you is when you create that culture and you empower people by this kind of core mindset, it is unbelievable the things that will be uncovered. It's really exciting when you first implement it because what you find is there's so many ways in the business to easily be saving money and generating revenue. Now, over time, the goal is that that, that window should be small. That means you've, you've really stayed on top of it. But from there, it really becomes just maintenance and maintaining. So you go do all this work to save costs or generate revenue, but then are you consistently working on that as the company is growing? And so core is like this never-ending thing. At times, there's more to be done than others. But if everybody knows that part of their job is core, you'll be amazed at what can happen. One thing on incentives, most people are definitely incentivized by money, but I think we tend to fall into this trap that incentives are only about making money, when in reality, that's not what everybody is incentivized by. Sure, it's a big part, but people are incentivized in a lot of ways just to do great work. They're incentivized to want to work with great people. They're incentivized by wanting to move up and take on a new job and a new title and a new role. They're incentivized by wanting to be somebody that helps people out around them. And so when you think about incentives and you think about a company, again, just incentivizing for more money can be destructive. You want to incentivize all these other aspects of what a great career looks like. And again, by doing that, what you often find is the money tends to follow. You know, you want to incentivize people really learning their job and learning it well before they move on to the next, um, you know, role within the company. You don't want to incentivize folks that 
feel like I just am going to get to this spot, learn as little as I can, and just you know, posture for the next role. What I've found is the people that are incentivized to really get their, to know their role well, while they might spend a little more time in roles, they start moving up quicker. Then there's people that say, look, I don't want any other job other than the job I have. So you might incentivize that person differently than the person that wants to make a career at your company. So a lot of incentives at the individual level is getting to know your people. What do they want? Ask them for feedback. What are they looking for in a company? That doesn't mean they're always going to get it the minute they want it. But as a manager and as a leader, one of the best ways to understand who's going to um, who's going to act on what incentive is to ask them what they're incentivized by. What you would be shocked by is of all the people in the world, we're all motivated by different things. And so I think one of the, you know, I'll close out this little rant is um, one incentive doesn't fit all. And it's really important upon leaders and managers to understand what's driving your people. You know, I think setting goals is huge. I, you know, I'm not going to go on. Everybody knows that setting a goal is a great thing. Again, I'm more interested in how you're going to achieve the goal than the goal itself. And so I believe goals drive incentives. I believe people want to achieve goals, but I believe the magic is how they're achieving them, not the goal itself. Thanks for letting me go on. Uh, a little bit of a rant on incentives. I hope I answered a lot of these questions. I think what I wanted to get out of today's episode was more of the mentality to take towards incentives rather than the specific incentives themselves. Um, I will very likely do a part two where I'm happy to get more into the specifics and weeds of, of any one deal. Um, but if, if, if there's anything I could have gotten across today, and I hope I did, was it's the mentality you take towards incentives that matters before the incentives that you actually set. So thank you for continuing to join me on this journey, and I will see you next week. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or subscribe on YouTube. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and chairman of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.